Hi, and welcome back to Streets and Eats. This is episode 39, and we're taking you to one of our favorite cities this time, Berlin, Germany. I can't tell you how many times we've been there, but I can tell you it hasn't been enough. Welcome to Streets and Eats, the travel and food podcast dedicated to taking our listeners to the sights, sounds, and flavors of fascinating places near and far, both on and off the beaten path. We're Jim and Corinne Vale, and we've been traveling internationally and domestically together for decades, visiting more than 90 countries in all 50 states in the USA. We'll share all of the local knowledge and food expertise we've gathered through years of living as expats in Asia and Europe, as well as traveling with families spanning multiple generations around the world. Join us each week for a new adventure. All right. Well, we are back and we did have a little bit of a spring break. That's why we weren't uh, here last week. We were chasing spring flowers. And what we did was we drove down the West Coast and we did a lot of spring flowers and national parks in California. It was a lot of fun. Um, We did head over to Texas to see some blue bonnets. But if anybody... Anybody knows anything about blue bonnets? This wasn't the best year to go chasing blue bonnets. We did find some and we enjoyed them, but I think we'll have to repeat that part of the trip for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, with the drought everywhere in the Southwest, wildflowers in general, were not at their, you know, absolute best, but they were still out. It was still beautiful. We had great weather. We got out of this rainy Northwest, just kind of gray late winter, early spring. Got a little touch of tan. Got a little touch of tan. And really it was kind of funny because we were down and driving around for what, three weeks, two and a half weeks. And it was so sunny and warm everywhere that as we were coming back, we didn't even really think about driving over the pass to come into the Tacoma area. And sure enough, it was snowing in the pass and it kind of caught us a little bit by surprise. Uh, I know novices right (laughs) but oh anyway it was fun and we really enjoyed ourselves we got to see some people that we love to visit we got to um, eat some great food and of course we will be telling you all about it in a future article on streets of needs and you'll get to start planning your spring trip in california road trip yeah it was just a great road trip Okay, so our episode today is about Berlin. So this is a first-timer's guide to Berlin. Uh, we've been to Berlin so many times, uh, as you mentioned in our in our opening. Uh, I don't think I could count either. I'd, I'd really have to stop and, and think about it for a while. But, I mean, I've been to Berlin so many different ways and so many different times. Uh, and for over, both have. over the span of many, many years many years. I think the first time we went to Berlin was about a year before the Berlin Wall came down. Mm -hmm. So it was full on. The Berlin Wall is still up and running. Um, There's East Berlin, there's West Berlin. We had to, we drove into Berlin um, and we had to stop at all these um, checkpoints checkpoints, and we had to have orders and it was quite the production. Well, everybody knows about, well, hopefully everybody knows about checkpoint Charlie, or at least has heard about it. Um, there is this whole series of checkpoints going from West Germany at the time through East Germany and then into Berlin and then back into East Germany. So you'd go through checkpoint alpha checkpoint Baker checkpoint Charlie. There was probably a checkpoint Delta Delta. and echo somewhere. Um, but the main ones are the ones going from West Germany and into East Germany. And you'd had to follow a very specific route and you couldn't deviate from the route and you had to, uh, maintain a certain speed because they expected you to take X amount of time to get from point A to point B. And if it differed at all, you uh, had to explain why you had to explain why. Yeah. So pretty challenging. Well, so the whole thing is we were used to driving all over Germany at this point in our lives, but we, um, you know, it kind of gets your blood pumping. It kind of gets your adrenaline moving. It's like, whoa, I'm doing something a little bit, you know, off kilter here. Quite something different, that, right? Yeah, we're not used to. Um, and then one time we did it with my mother. And my mother is the most irreverent person on this earth. And the 
one of the guards at one of the checkpoints gave her a salute to tell her she was fine and she like stuck her tongue out at him. I was just mortified. <laughs> but of course she was an old lady. She got away with it. And she was laughing and he laughed. So yeah, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't a big deal. You know, they are real people, those security people. <laughs> but that was the first time we went in was of course, cold war. Um, I was military. You weren't military at the time, but I was in the Air Force still. I had just gotten out not too much before then, though. And in order to go into one of the requirements for going into East Berlin at that time, we could do it um, through Checkpoint Charlie, but I had to be in uniform and we could only go in for a day. We had to be out before a certain time at night. Um, So we did. And it was quite the experience. The thing about it was there wasn't tons to do. We went into Alexanderplatz, which is still Alexanderplatz today. The radio, and it's the radio really tower a, is still there. Really a cool place. And there's a lot more to do today than there was then. But there were a couple of cafes and shops and um, things to do. But I don't remember if, I mean, we didn't go to any museums or anything like that. We just sort of, you know, were Explored. awestruck by the lack of color and the austerity. Yes. The austerity and the lack of things on a menu. And really nobody was in these restaurants. If you went in there, it was sort of, I don't know, eerie is a good word for it, I guess. Yeah. And you really felt like there were eyes on, on you at all times. Now, one of the things that you could do at that point, because this is, uh, this was in the mid to late eighties, there were a few people that had little stalls set up around around yeah. Alexanderplatz where they were selling uh, East, paraphernalia. East German and Soviet uniform paraphernalia. Uh, so that was, I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, you could get some really cool, authentic stuff like that. But there was more after the wall came down. Definitely. And there you can still get f- that stuff now. Yeah. There was a lot more after the wall came down. So that was the first trip in. Um I, I actually did a trip where I flew into Tempelhof on a C-130, uh, which was an experience in and of itself because in the, in an airplane, it was the same way. You had a certain air corridor that you had to stay in and you couldn't deviate from that. Uh, so that was, that added that kind of heightened sense of urgency, I guess. And doom. And doom. Uh, I was going in to repair an aircraft so I had parts and I had my toolbox and the plane landed. They didn't even shut down the engines. They were basically dropping me off so I could jump out the door and they would tax back out because they couldn't stay on the ground for any length of time because we already had an aircraft on the ground and we couldn't have two staying at the same time. Uh, so out the door I go thinking I'm going to do this fix on this aircraft and then I'm going to have some time in Berlin. Like I was expecting at least an overnight. Um, so I brought everything to over to the, their aircraft and lo and behold, the problem had fixed itself. Their engines were running. So I climbed right back on and off you went off. I went back to Rhine mine. So, yeah, because at the time Jim was stationed in the air force at Rhine mine air force base, which is right there in Frankfurt. And um, so they have, on Rhine Mine, still today, you can go to the Luftbrücke Memorial and a couple of other things that talk about those air corridors and those road corridors um, for the cold that that we upheld during the Cold War, mm-hmm. where before the Soviet Union fell apart. Yeah, and there's also so that Luftbrücke is a memorial to the Berlin Airlift and all of the pilots uh, that took part in it, and also the ones that lost their lives keeping West Berlin alive, really. During yeah, the blockade, during the Soviet blockade. Yeah. Uh, and there's the other end of the Luftbrücke, the memorial, is at Tempelhof. So it's on the grounds of Tempelhof. Um, and you can you can tour Tempelhof uh, still today. We have an article about that on our site. It's a very cool tour, especially if you're interested at all in World War II or the Cold War well, and, for us, and history. Um, you know, we were in the military during the Cold War. And we lived in Germany during the Cold War. And we were still there when the Soviet Union started to fall apart. So when the Berlin Wall came down, when Czechoslovakia opened up and we could cross borders, um, we were in Poland really early on. We did a lot of things that you just couldn't do before. And it was just fascinating to us. So So I think Jim and I have a 
maybe even more of an affinity, a love for Berlin than most people who go there. But if you're interested at all in World War II or Cold War history, Berlin is like the only city on earth that you must. That's right. 100% have to do. And there's so much there to experience and to see. Okay, one more story before we get into the actual, you know, information about <laughs> it. Because we have tons of them. We do. Uh, so in November of 1989, of course, uh, that that massive day, that super important day, the wall comes down. Well, let me tell that story. Okay, the so wall comes down. My mother is living in the Netherlands. She's got the same job that we later. Um, moved into she was teaching military children in the netherlands so she lived about three hours away from us and on this particular weekend we go up there about once a month and on this particular weekend for some reason jim wasn't with me he must have had weekend duty or something um but my two little girls and myself we were driving on the audubon up to the netherlands and i have the german radio on and i'm listening to der mauer is gefallen der mauer is gefallen and then you know all the news that surrounds this the wall has fallen i'm like the wall has fallen like the berlin wall the berlin wall fell the brand everybody's on the brandenburg gate so i i get to my mother's house and i'm knocking on the door and i'm like mom we've got to turn on the news what's going on so of course we turn on the news and it's just what you um probably can remember where the there's people climbing over the wall people are partying there's fireworks it's just i mean it's just a party like you've never seen before and so the whole way up to her house i'm listening to the news about this as we're up there we're like well we're going first chance we get we need to get to berlin so that weekend we plan to go to berlin during our break uh, at Christmas time and my brother flew over and my mother was there, our two girls and Jim and myself. And we all went to visit Berlin and see the fall of the wall. Yeah. In December of 1989. So mm -hmm. a month after it fell. Almost a month, three weeks. Devin was four and a half years old. Erica was just turned three. Uh, so here are two little girls and the very first night, I, I think we dropped your mom off at the hotel because she was really tired. She was coming all the way from the Netherlands. Uh, and then the three of us, the three adults and the two children, we all found a place to go to uh, get really close to the wall near Checkpoint Charlie. And uh, you parked the car about a, a half a block away from where the wall was. But you couldn't see the wall. No. Um, open the doors. As soon as you open the doors... All you can hear is clink, 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 ching, 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 hammers, whatever, everything just pounding off the wall. And, and it's like this chorus of, well, okay, let's get cliche. This chorus of freedom echoing throughout Berlin as everybody in the city, it seems like, was at the wall, hammering away, chipping off pieces, either in an attempt to get you know, a final souvenir or just, you know, to take out that monstrosity. Yeah. Just to, as an attempt to just bring it down as quickly as they could. Um, so we feel we, we were like, well, let's get in there. Yeah. You know, we, we too, we wanted to take down the wall as well. So we got in there. My, my daughters found a pipe. They were like an old fence post battering, batter ramming the wall <laughs> so with cute. this. It was so cute. Um, Jim had them up on his shoulders and they're um, chinking away at the, at the top of it. We've got everything we can find. I think we took the, um, what is that thing for the tires? The tire, tire iron, iron. Yeah. Um, out of the back so that we could use that. Cause it was very thick cement, hard to break. Super um, hard. We must have done that for, gosh, at least a couple of hours. And we came away with quite a few pieces with uh, original paint on them and things like that. But that was, that was kind of, it was a nice souvenir. Um, and we still have those. Be but I think it was a fervor. It was a feeling. It was, yeah. it was like, you know, you had to join in because well, you're part of history. You are a part of history. And I, I think we, we've managed to be around things, you know, a few times in our lives, but that may stand out as one of the most poignant points 
of our lives. It was very cool. Okay, so getting into a first timer's guide. <laughs> Naturally, we think one of the things that you need to do while you're there is see the wall. And, you know, at the very beginning when the wall was coming down and there was actually construction efforts to remove the wall, they made a decision early on in the city to preserve some sections of it as opposed to just bringing it all down because it is a huge part of history. So when we're talking about places that you need to go, of course, the wall is one of those places. Um, but let's talk about, you know, the kind of the logistics first, how to get there and how to get around. Berlin now, once again, is the capital of Germany. Um, Bonn was the capital during the Cold War when we didn't have access to all parts of Berlin or they didn't, I should say. Uh, the Germans didn't. Um, but now it's again the capital. And so that means that there's lots of access. There's an airport, there's trains that go there, fast trains, bullet trains. Mm -hmm. There are boats that go. I mean, you can look up just about any mode of transportation and you can get to Berlin easily. Yeah. Some of the cheap, air, well, several of the cheap airlines fly in and out of Berlin uh, pretty much from all over Europe. So if you're in Europe, it's a very easy trip to get there. Uh, of course, there are direct flights to the U.S., and other countries internationally. Um, however, I wouldn't say it's as well connected as say Frankfurt or Munich. More than likely, if you're coming from the States, especially, it would be a, another leg of your flight. So keep that in mind. It is a cheap flight and there are again, uh, quick or fast trains, slow trains too, for that matter, overnight trains, if you want to make it part of a train trip. Uh, but it's just super easily easy to get to, and it's well connected to Europe and the world. Now, once you're there, um, I, in my mind, I think Berlin's a little bit behind the times, maybe because so many places around the world have converted to their public transportation system using smart cards. Um, Berlin hasn't yet. I suspect it will in the near future. That's just kind of the way of the future. Um. And so it takes a little bit more effort to figure out how to get around, but it's a, it's a great transportation system. The local transportation is clean. It's convenient. It runs regularly. Uh, and it's not, it's not difficult to do. I guess the biggest difficulty is trying to determine which ticket you need to buy. Uh, so it really depends on where you're staying, how long you're going to be there how often you think you'll be using public transportation, but really public transportation is how you're going to get around unless you've yeah, got your I mean, own car. And even then you're probably going to want to park somewhere and take public transportation. Um, so what we usually do is if we're going to be for there for the weekend, and this is what we recommend for other people, uh, you have a couple, you have two different really good options. One of them is just regular day tickets which are like eight euros or something like that, eight or nine euros. It's good for one adult uh, and up to three children up to age 14. So if you're a family, um, that's a great option. And that eight euros, eight, nine euros is about three or four rides. So if you're going to only be doing a couple of rides, you'll just want to get probably single tickets. Uh, but if you're going to be doing any more than that, or if you just don't want to deal with the tickets, a day ticket is a really good way to go. For first timers, I really think, and you'll have to tell me what you think about this. I really think the Berlin welcome card is a good option. Uh, maybe the best option. You're going to be paying a little bit more than nine euros per day uh, for the 48 hour ticket or Berlin welcome card. I mean, it's uh, 24 euros. So that's 12 euros a day. But it, it, it provides you that transportation, so you're, all your transportation is covered, but it also gives you discounts on almost all of the attractions in the city. So it really helps with that. So for well, a first-timer, that's a great idea. Well, and it makes it easy because then you have this one piece of paper, you use it pretty much everywhere you go, and you don't have to worry about going and getting more tickets or that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but we also recommend a lot of tours too. 
um, Berlin is a huge metropolis of a city. So um, if you are a little worried about taking um, public transportation to all the sites or you just don't want to miss anything or you just don't think you can get to it all in a few days, which, by the way, it's going to be difficult to even scratch the surface in a few days. Um, there are some great tours, everything from um, going on the taking a boat on the scree to taking, of course, the hop on a hop on hop off bus to seeing a show to doing a Cold War World War Two tour, which I highly recommend. Well, my um, favorite was the Trabi tour. Or, or and yeah, taking the Trabi tour as well, which we'll talk a little bit about. Sure. But uh, yeah, there's tons and tons, so much to do that is just almost overwhelming. Overwhelming. So we definitely think that taking tours is not a bad option. It's a great option. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Holocaust and Nazi resistance walking tours, things like that that are, you know, less than thirty dollars. You you just can't beat the information in the places that you go. Um, and it's much harder to do it on your own, I think. Yeah. Well, one thing that I really love about having that day ticket or a welcome card where you can just climb on and off buses anytime you want, uh, is that you can get on like the top floor of one of the double decker buses and there's some really cool bus lines that take you right through the heart of old Berlin and past several of these sites. Um, whether you want to get off at them or not is up to you, but just to like for a windshield tour. It's a super cool way to do it. And it's included with your transportation costs. So why not? And you get some good photos because you're up high. So it's kind of an alternative to that uh, hop on, hop off. Um, It takes a little more effort. You have to kind of like figure out which routes are going to be your best routes, but it's a really great way to do it. And And you might have to write it a couple of times to finagle your way up to the good windows. That's right. (laughs) But Uh, that's okay. It's cheap if you're doing that. It's not a big deal. It's a great activity for a rainy day. Which, you know, let's face it, that happens That happens in Berlin. Okay, so Berlin, I mean, for us, the most important part of Berlin is um, the history of Berlin. But it's also well known for its food. It's well known for its fashion. It's well known for its film and film festival. I think they have a film festival in February. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, it, it's a big, huge city. There's so much going on that no matter what your interests are, Sometime during the year, they're probably going to have a show about it or a festival or a fair. Um, it's a really good idea to look at um, what's going on during the time that you're there, because there will be something fun to do, I guarantee you. And if you have uh, you know, specific interests like film, uh, then, of course, find out when those festivals are and plan your trip around that time. That film festival in February, like you said, is like one of the top three in the world. Um, but summer is a good time because the museums all have special things in special events and, um, costs available throughout the summer, July and August specifically. And all the parks have like little music festivals mm -hmm. and things like that. There's always something going on in summer always, but there really is all year long, I think. Yeah. So Think about your interests. If you are open on the times, then of course, you know, check out those event pages. Uh, We'll put some links in the show notes for those. And um, other than that, you know, the best time to visit. uh, Oh gosh, we've been there. I think every time of year we have. And depending on what you're going to do, I think really depends on when the best time to visit is. A lot of the stuff like walking, even the Berlin Wall, walking the East Side Gallery, it's outdoors and it's a few kilometers long and you want to do the whole thing because it's fascinating. Um, We did it. Gosh, what was it? It must have been November, I think. And it was overcast and it was almost it was more than overcast. It was foggy and it was a little bit um, like misty, misty misty rain we would get in Germany. And and the great thing about that was and to be honest, I think that for me, that was a great time because. You know, it's a dark part of the history to begin with. And it's, you know, this hidden, well, it's not hidden, but this, this thing that we're, that there's, that everybody's ashamed of. And it, it, the mystery, the mist gave that air of mystery to it that really it, you know, I think it just enhanced it more than 
um, took away from it. The only problem was it was a bit chilly, you know? Yeah. Well, the weather definitely adds to the atmosphere when you're doing the Cold War, especially the Cold War sites. Yeah. It just sort of feels right. Yeah. If, if, if you're off and you want to get that Cold War feeling, go during the winter. Yeah. But the rest of the time, honestly, is probably better weather. And I mean, the, the flowers are beautiful. Yeah, spring the, is gorgeous. You know, the summers are just stunning and they don't even get too hot. And of course, the fall is gorgeous as well, too. Winter probably is the least pretty and, of course, the coldest time to go. But boy, it really does lend that. Je ne sais quoi, that extra something. Well, they do have a fantastic uh, Christmas market. Oh, and the so Christmas markets are if you're amazing. There in December, you're not going to go well, wrong Well, November with that. to December, the end, the yes. last weekend in thanks, the last weekend in November, which is our Thanksgiving, um, all the way through the 24th of December, there are, I believe, eight to ten official Christmas markets throughout the city. And they are amazing. They have, of course, everything traditional. They'll have the pyramids. They'll have the glue vine. They'll have all the good things to eat. Um, and there's just, just so much to do and see. But then they also have some pretty cool extra stuff. Like um, one of them had a sledding hill. That's right. So you and could Potsdamer Platz. Yeah, and Potsdamer Platz. And um so they just all have real, I think there was ice skating on one. Mm-hmm. There were still pony rides on another. And and here you are, you're all bundled up and you know, then you have to you get a little cold and then you have to go get your hot um chocolate or your glue vine or your what's that egg one Feuer, that I like? My favorite my favorite is the Feuer Bullen. Oh the Feuer Bullen, which is what? Uh, it's like a, it's a hot rum drink. Yeah. If you sugary, sweet, hot, spicy, delicious. Very. I mean, you're going to, although if, actually my favorite is of course this, the hot mold wine, the spice mold wine, the blue vine. vine. Uh, if you go the foyer bowling route, you only need one. Yeah. <laughs> It'll keep you it's moving. A lot of It'll alcohol. warm you up inside. That's for sure. That's right. It's cool to watch. They've got the, the sugar cone that's uh, lit up with the dripping alcohol on it and it, and it melts the sugar and drips it into the punch. It's, it's pretty cool and so, it's delicious. In essence, for us, two people who really love this city, I don't think you can go at a bad time. No. no. So if your business offers you a chance to go mid-January, I say go. (laughs) The museums are open. Uh, It's a perfect time, like you said, to experience Cold War, Berlin, uh, all those sites. And the food is still awesome. It's great. And you know that that really hearty German food is perfect for the wintertime anyway. That's right. So Jim mentioned museums. Every capital um, of a country has lots of museums, hundreds of museums, and Berlin is no different. Um, but they have some that are just spectacular. One of our, they have a whole island called Museum Island, and you can take the bus out there, but it is an island. So you can take, if you take one of the river cruises, you'll definitely go around those bridges and stuff. Um, and they have art museums and music museums and history museums. And one of our favorites is the Pergamum Museum. Pergamum is a site, an old archaeological site from Turkey um, that was Greek in origin and ancient Greece. And it it's a spectacular museum. It's just chock full of antiquities that are so cool. Um, that's one of our favorites. Right off of the island, not actually part of the island, is a newer museum called the DDR Museum, which is all about uh, East Germany and how people lived during the Cold War. And it also is extremely fascinating. And that one's even, I would say, really good for kids, too, because there's some interactive things and it's, well, it's more modern in general. So it's a lot of fun. But there are so many different kinds of museums that you are going to find something that you're interested in. And that's even going on and above the World War II and Cold War history. Okay, so one of the quirkiest, most fun museums, Jim, can you guess what it is? Well, for me, it has to be the Currywurst Museum. That's right. Which is also a great one for kids. 
It's excellent for kids. In fact, it's probably really designed for kids right. in general. But uh, Jim and I are two big kids, so we loved it. Okay, and we, so we probably we need back. to explain a little bit about what currywurst is. Yeah. And why there should even be a museum for so, it. So currywurst, so anytime you think about um, German food, the first thing that people think of are sausages. And worst means sausage. And of course, curry is, you know, curry, curry, sausage. Which is not really very curry-like no. in a lot of ways. It's <laughs> actually more ketchup with some curry powder in it. And it originated in Berlin. And you can still today go all over the city and find little currywurst kiosks. Um, and it does warm you up. It's just one of those foods that are really good in those, whether it's a brisk spring morning or deep, dark winter. It's just warming and they're delicious and actually after you have it you you kind of get into it so but what's really nice about the curry worst museum is it tells the history of it the woman who um invented curry worse its history and then you there's so many fun things you get to make your own curry worse well not to eat but just to play with and just different things it's just really a fun place. And if you have kids, it's a must do. And of course, you need to pair that with of eating currywurst so they get, you know, both sides of it. But that is it's just an amazing, fun place to go. And it's a good location. It's in the Checkpoint Charlie area. So you're going to be there anyway. You're going to want to go see Checkpoint Charlie. Now, to me, that the Checkpoint itself it's gotten a little too kitschy. Yeah, it has. Uh, they kept the checkpoint. They didn't tear it down. They recognized that as a historical site. Um, but it's open like right in the middle of the street, like it always was. And it's surrounded and covered with, uh, what what would you call them? Hawkers or? Yeah, just, you know, people trying to sell you something. Buskers and. Buskers. That's the word yeah. I was looking for. Well, like for instance. Every time we've been lately, there's always been this one gentleman who's dressed up in, um, you know, German uniform and he stands there and he gets all goofy and he'll take a picture with you and yeah. you pay him a few euros. Uh, that's all cool and fun. And it is a neat little picture, especially again for the kids. But unfortunately, they're there to the point where it's hard for you to get a picture yeah. without them in it, unless you go, I don't know, five o'clock in the morning or something when there's no tourists around. Um, so unfortunately, they've kind of taken over the yeah. checkpoint. That doesn't diminish what it is and how cool it was, especially the first time we went mm -hmm. and, you know, all during the Cold War. But at the same time, it's, it's kind of, you know, yeah. kind of sad. Too. It's kind of like, what, what is this anyway? But that's also where some of the big Cold War museums are. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite ones that is dedicated to people escaping Eastern Germany or Eastern Berlin. So, you know, they, they kind of have some of those artifacts from, uh, from those times when people were escaping out of East Berlin, like the cars with the fake bottoms and just all those different things. So it tells all that story really cool. So that's a great place. Uh, Jim mentioned earlier that um, we took a Trabi tour. Now, when we were living there and the wall came down, probably it took about three months, but by spring of um, 1990, 1990, one thing you would see all over their place were these little tiny, cute, cars called Trabants that were all made in Eastern Germany. And according to the DDR museum, it would take years for you to be able to buy one Trabi, which there's not really much to a Trabi. It's a little car with either two or four doors and a pull starter. Not, no, isn't it a no, pull they had real starters. Well, anyway, it, it's just so old and basic. There's just nothing to them, but boy, were they cute and they were all different colors. And so what um, one of the tour companies has done is gathered these up and um, you can drive them around Berlin. You basically follow the leader and <laughs> you're kind of in for a fun time as yeah. we found out. <laughs> because it's a real Trabi. It's not like a replica or anything like that. Um, so these are very old cars and they were never great mechanical specimens to begin with 
Um, but the good thing about them was they were super easy to repair. And so um, a lot of jury rigging going on throughout the years. And well, now the Trabi that we drove uh, was pretty interesting. It had a problem with the brakes. Uh, it didn't happen until what, about maybe 20 quarter of the way through, quarter or way through 20 minutes into the drive. I went to just lightly apply the brakes coming into our red light and the brakes locked up and we skidded to a stop in the middle of the intersection. So, you know, we figured out quickly how to deal with that. I just would like skid a little bit to stop and on and off with the brakes and we managed to make it through the rest of the tour. Um, but because of that, at the end, the tour guide felt so bad that he offered us free Trabi models toys from the store at the end. That was yeah. kind of cool. But driving around the Trabi was really an experience. Uh, it's kind of cool because you're using the AM radio that's built into it for, uh, for the narration of the tour. The tour guide is driving a Trabi somewhere in the front and there's like, what was what there like eight or 10 Trabis that yeah. are following in this yeah. little parade throughout Berlin. Uh, I think a really cool thing to do, of course, go on the Trabi tour, but even better is to be somewhere around Checkpoint Charlie or, mm -hmm. you know, one of those other sites, the East Side Gallery, the Berlin Wall Gallery, when a Trabi tour is going by so you can get a picture or a video of this string of Trabis driving down the road because it's so cool. Um, anyway, that was a lot of fun and it was important to us. We knew what they were from way back when, and that was a lot of fun. Um, and we had been dying to do it. So we were excited. Well, I don't think we've mentioned probably the two most important things that you would see while you're in Berlin. And that is the Brandenburg gate mm -hmm. and the Jewish Memorial, which are right next to each other. And, um, of course the Brandenburg gate is the iconic gate where Ronald Reagan made his speech for Mr. Gorbachev tear down this wall. And it's just been the center of anything that's ever happened in Berlin. So that's, that's pretty key. And then after the war, they built not far from there, the Jewish Memorial, which is very stark. The Holocaust Memorial. Yeah. Stark and, and sad. And, um, very sobering, but well worth a trip to as well. And there's tons more. There's so much more to do in Berlin that we can't even, there's no way you would be able to do it as a first timer. Right. Unless, like I said, you take some tours and you're very, um, you know, picky about what you pick because uh, there's so much to do, but do the things that we mentioned because yeah. you won't regret it. Yeah. <laughs> and pretty much everything we've mentioned won't take a lot of pre-planning or early reservations. However, if you uh, are really interested in German history and uh, German society today, I guess uh, a really important place to go would be the Reichstag. And that one does take a lot of planning. You can't just, you know, walk up in the morning and say, Hey, I'd like to take a tour of the Reichstag. Yeah, I don't know if that's most important for a first timer, but it is definitely something you can read about on our blog. And it was, a, it's a fabulous building. The architecture is amazing mm -hmm. and it's free. It's just, you need to have reservations yeah, for it. It takes some planning. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about food because food is the best part of Berlin. We've already mentioned all about the Christmas market foods and we've already mentioned probably the most iconic food in Berlin, which is the currywurst. But you've also heard of the Berliner, which is basically a donut. Ich bin ein Berliner. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's <laughs> heard that uh, JFK yeah, made, when his speech. made that little that mistake. Blender. A little blunder. Uh, but yeah, it's a donut fried in oil, filled with jam, sprinkled with powdered sugar. Of course, it's delicious. Especially on one of those cold mornings. Always. Um, plus, oh, by the way, the coffee itself in Germany is just fabulous. Always good. And as a general rule, uh, you, you know, you're going to get great coffee with breakfast and everything. A German breakfast at a hotel, make sure that you get that included in your hotel stay. And we'll talk about hotels in a second, but, um, you want the, the breakfast because, they're robust and they're, you know, full of little German meats and, and little sandwiches, sandwich rolls, brochen, and um, the coffee. It's and just, coffee. 
it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. And uh, for eating in, in Germany in general, if you're not getting the breakfast in the restaurant, your options are pretty limited for breakfast yeah. outside. Germans don't really eat breakfast. You will find it nowadays more than, you know, before, but not, not it's, it's hard to do. Yeah. It's hard to do. A bakery where you can get uh, a, a breakfast sandwich, a brooch in with meat and cheese. Which is what you're going to get at your breakfast anyway. Yeah, so why exactly. would you go somewhere else and buy it? Uh, that's about, or, or a Danish or some sort of pastry um, is about all you're going to get for breakfast. Otherwise, well, of course, you know, McDonald's is everywhere. So you can get a McDonald's breakfast, but even those are not all going to offer breakfast. So don't count on it. That's right. Um, so, but the other thing I was going to say about coffee is, so you, you have a, a small breakfast in the morning. Um, you can go out for a nice lunch. There are so many delicious restaurants, both German and ethnic all over the city. Um, and then at four, you know, three, four, that's coffee time. So find a bakery, sit down, take a load off your feet if you, as you've been pounding that pavement and have a coffee and a pastry in any of the millions of Beckerais that you're going to find all over the place. And it's so it just will make your day. They're all going to be good. So you don't have to like search out the best one on the other side of the city. That's right. You'll find a good one nearby anywhere you are. And they have everything from just a real doughy um, kind of croissant with almonds on it to, oh, my favorite are the fruit torts. Oh, they just have so many good ones. And the and, you know, some of them are like a little tort bottom, a pastry bottom, and then you have some fruit and a jelly, and then you have like this cream and, you know, it stands five inches tall and, oh my golly, you just can't, you, it's part of the day. You've got to do it. Yeah. Definitely. And you will love it. Uh, if you're there in summer or fall or even spring for that matter, a beer garden is always a great option. Absolutely. In Make sure you get the pretzels with the sweet mm -hmm. mustard. Uh, the Prater Beer Garden is one of my favorites. Uh, that's a really good one. And they have great beer, of course. But there's tons of them. There's so many. Yeah, there's you, more than we could even begin to tell you. Yeah. Again, you're not going to have to like go across the city to find the best one. Find the nearest one that's got good ratings. Uh, grab a seat outside. And prepare to hang out beer and listen to the live music and start making friends with the people around you because a beer garden is a place to make friends. Everybody's there to unwind, unwind, visit, uh, have a good time. And you'll find that that's where I think anyway, Germans are going to be the most open and friendly. I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, other places I don't think to they're eat. unfriendly ever. It's just right. that it's hard to get to talk to them sometimes, but at a beer garden, it's much easier. Yeah. And well, and everywhere around the world, big cities are even harder to get to know people and, and kind of crack open the exterior and, and learn more about the individuals. And a beer garden is a great place to do that. And after one or two of these massive beers, you're going to feel like you can speak German really well. <laughs> it definitely lubricates the tongue. So to speak. But even if you can't just turn to your name and say, sprechen Sie English. Yes. And the answer is going to be, uh, yes, I do. Of course <laughs> <laughs> they won't say it with that derision no. probably perhaps, but everybody speaks English from three years old and up everybody. And the best beer garden a uh, German word to know is Prost. Prost. So even if you are a little bit shy at some point in time, just lift up your glass and look over at your neighbor with a big smile and say Prost and give them a cheers. Now, if you're a foodie and one of the things that you are interested in is going to restaurants that have a history, probably one of the must go-to restaurants that you would want to visit is called Sir Letzten Instance, which means the last time. And it's the oldest restaurant in Berlin. It's been serving food since 1651. Continuously. Continuously. People like Napoleon, Charlie Chaplin have eaten there. I mean, it's pretty flipping cool. And you can tell, you can just feel it as you're walking in. Um, some of the food is completely so 
traditional that you won't even recognize. You you won't have seen it even on other menus because it's that old. Um, try what you will. Uh, we always love and always recommend the grilled pork knuckle. It's a pretty hefty portion, but it is amazingly delicious. So, and of course you have your beer with it. Um, make sure if you go there, especially during um, the summer or, you know, like on a Friday or Saturday, make sure that you have your hotelier uh, make reservations for you because I mean, it's been going for a long time. It's very famous and well worth it. Well, with your time. Yeah. So don't miss it. And if you're, you know, if you really wanted to get in, uh, you can, of course, make your reservation earlier before your trip. Uh, pretty early in advance. I think they'll take reservations up to six months in advance. Is that right? And on the website, there is a simple link to make your reservations. Yeah. Uh, don't don't miss it. You'll you'll want to go there. If you're a foodie, you definitely want to go there. Okay. My other favorite restaurant in Berlin, and we eat there every time we go. Do you remember it? Do you know what yeah, it is? Yeah, I do. Osteria Caruso. Osteria Caruso, of course, is not German food, and so it's a, know, it's it, an ethnic Italian pizza and pasta, and it's really good. Just really great Italian Osteria, great Italian food, uh, and it's near the Potsdamer Platz, so it kind of goes well with what you're doing in that area. And it's just delicious. Again, well, reservations for most of the restaurants in Berlin, reservations may not be a must, but they're certainly recommended, especially if you're going to be eating like between seven o'clock and nine o'clock. That's right. Most of the places, Luckily, Americans tend to eat earlier, exactly. so you don't have as much of a problem. And that's kind of our, you know, one of our pro tips for yeah. eating around the world, really. Uh, if you're so inclined if you can get into a restaurant near their opening time, like usually around five o'clock, uh, you can usually get in without a reservation. So it's worth a try if you don't have a reservation, at least. If you haven't had time to plan. Um, at the same token, it's Berlin has one of the um, largest Turkish populations. The Turkish food is amazing there. If you get a chance to eat Turkish food, you know you're going to get some really authentic, delicious mm. Turkish food. And as well as um, you can get falafel, you can get vegetarian, you can get, um, of course, any type of Asian food. There's just really no end to your choices. We do suggest that you eat some some German food while you're there. But the ethnic choices are really, really outstanding as some well. Good standouts for sure. Uh, okay, so the, people always want to know where should I stay in, in any new location, in any city especially. Uh, at, my big advice for finding a hotel, uh, you know what you're comfortable with as far as a two or three or four star. Uh, in Germany, a two and a three star are very comfortable, very clean. Uh, you're never really going to go wrong. And they offer probably the best prices. And, uh, and maybe even the best breakfast. And maybe even the best breakfast. So uh, for Berlin, that's kind of what we recommend is that two or three star range. If you want a little bit more comfort, four stars are good. Uh, and five stars are ridiculous. If you're a five star <laughs> hotel person, you're probably not listening to our podcast. But if you are, you have, there's definitely some great options. Uh, we tend to stay away from the five stars because we find that they kind of insulate you from from the locale which in some cases you might want right but not. i don't think you want that in berlin so the next thing you really want to do is look for uh one of those hotels that has good reviews and is near an s-bahn or a bus route that has a direct route into the center of the city Uh, there are some great options that are in the center. But the thing with Berlin, as with most large cities, there's not just one area that's going to be where you're going to be spending all of your time. Uh, so you can't really get a hotel, say, that's, near yeah. Potsdamer Platz and walk and see all of Berlin. No. You're going to have to get onto a bus or an S-Bahn and take some transportation out further away pretty regularly. So a hotel that's on a line is a must, I think. Um, one of our favorites, and we definitely have gone back to this one a few times, is the Pullman Berlin Schweizerhof. It's really near the, it's kind of, I, I guess it's midway between Potsdamer Platz and the Tiergarten. 
so it's a great location. It's got lots of good food options around it. And it is like right outside the door is the main line that's going to take you right into uh, the center of Berlin. And then from there, of course, you can get anywhere. And right across the street is one of the currywurst kiosks that I was telling you about. It's oh, like yeah. right there. Oh, yeah. And it's only, I think it's like half a block or a block off of Kafusterdam is only like a block away. Uh, and that is like the main shopping fashion district and great food, of course, and the shopping, if that's what you're interested in. So it's a good location. That's probably our favorite. Um, but we do have a couple of hotels that we could recommend in Berlin Mitte. There's a boutique hotel that I just love a boutique hotel because they're usually a little bit um, more kind of, you know, decorated and comfy and just, you know, make you feel just a little bit more special. And usually a boutique hotel has a great breakfast um, with eggs. You don't always get eggs at breakfast in um Germany. And if you do, they're probably going to be scrambled. But let me tell you something. I did not like scrambled eggs before I moved to Germany. And now I love German scrambled eggs. I still don't love American scrambled eggs. And another, I mean, so, so one of the things that um, I think is important is you've got the Potsdamer Platz, you've got the Alexander Platz, you've got um, all these places that are hubs that you might want to find hotels in those area. And there's plenty of choices um, because those are a, on the, on the U-Bahns and the S-Bahns. And so they've got public transportation right outside the door. They're centralized to the point where they're going to have lots of restaurants and stuff. And it's just a great way to start to get to know a location. Yeah, I, I agree. With some good nightlife as well. Which nightlife is, is huge all over the city uh, and you're just going to have so much fun. You can do bar hopping, go to shows, uh, cabarets, of course, Berlin is famous for. Uh, there's some really good options out there. So don't miss that either. No matter what you decide to do when you go to Berlin for your first time, I guarantee you, you will be leaving saying, oh my gosh, I can't wait to come back. That's right. It's a great city. You're going to love it. So I'll feed you Zane for now. Tschüss. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Streets and Eats. If you liked what you heard, please show us some love. Hit the like button and leave us a review. Maybe even subscribe so you don't miss any future podcasts. Also, we'd love it if you joined us on our Facebook private group, Streets and Eats, where we just have an ongoing conversation about all things travel. Ciao for now.